If you think about a diabetic, every time they go to the doctor, and that's once every quarter, the doctor's going to ask the same questions. Hey, are you taking your meds? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting your exercise and your step count? You know, are you eating the right stuff? Have you cut down your smoke and your alcohol? They've got to go through the motions of taking the patient history. Much of that we've mooted through the tech. So we give every one of our patients a Fitbit. We've got a partnership with Google and Fitbit on that. So we give that away for free. Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Chandana Fitzgerald, CEO of Health Excel, and my partner on this podcast. Today, I speak with Ali Hashemi, co-founder of Metabolic. In their own words, Metabolic is a hybrid digital therapeutics company focused on addressing the global metabolic health crisis. But before we dive in, I first got introduced to Ali by one of our previous guests on the show, Nate Bayer, back in 2021. But Ali and I didn't actually connect till late last year. I thoroughly enjoyed our first discussion, but also his view that maybe the future of DTX is not DTX at all. If that sounds familiar to you, well, it is. This view was also shared in season one by Chris Bergstrom, president of Amalgam Rx, our awesome partner in this podcast. So no better way to dive deep into the future of DTX with a possibly contrarian view, but you need to decide. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ali. Ali, welcome to the DTX podcast. I know we met last year and I've been looking forward to having you on. Combination of you're solving a huge problem and you're a different type of thinker. And so for... Our audience here would love for you to introduce yourself, who you are, your background, and one important piece is a small interesting fact about yourself. Sure. My name is Ali Hashimi, originally from St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised, spent most of my life in the U.S., undergrad at Duke, med school and business school in Canada at McGill. I moved out to the Middle East after a few years in consulting in New York City. I was at Bain, came out and led the healthcare advisory practice for booze for the region. Got tired at some point of being an advisor and wanted to build, so became an entrepreneur about 10 years ago. Founded a healthcare startup called Amana Healthcare, which was nothing tech about it. It was bricks and mortar. We were tackling subacute care. Sold that business about six years later to the Abu Dhabi government, so Mobadla, which is the sovereign fund of the Abu Dhabi government. Took a couple of days off, got a haircut, and bought myself a pair of sunglasses, and then got back to work tackling metabolic disease and founded our current company, or our portfolio of companies together with my co-founders back in 2019 and been working hard ever since on this new challenge. And don't forget, we do want to hear an interesting fact here. Interesting fact. Well, related to my background, I was actually expelled from medical school three times. Interesting. Amazing, right? (laughs) Which implies I got back in twice. That might be a story over drinks or another podcast. But I will say this, it was definitely not for academic reasons. You know, as I am today, a little bit of a free thinker and did things differently. That didn't go over well with the administration at a very conservative medical school. But as they say, all is well that ends well. Well, and it goes back to your comment around you became an entrepreneur a decade ago, but I would argue to say that maybe it was even before, right? Getting in and convincing three times in a row medical schools, it's persistence, 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 makes a great entrepreneur. No, it was actually just one medical school. Oh, one medical school. That's even harder. The getting back in part was this painful process of actually going through a scholastic grievance committee. So actually the university shoves me back in and then the med school kept shoving me back out. (laughs) Amazing. 
Let's get to what you're doing now. And I know just recently you guys launched kind of an overarching brand called Metabolic. So maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what it is. I know you started with GluCare three-ish years ago, but give us a little more background. What inspired maybe GluCare at its base and then kind of the building that overarching brand above it? Motivation is personal. I had already built and exited a business and I wanted whatever I did next to not just have that sort of commercial entrepreneurial angle to it, but really to be solving a problem that meant something to me and people that I care about. And metabolic disease touches most of us in some way. My grandfather died of complications related to poorly controlled diabetes. My wife, who's one of my co-founders, her father is diabetic. My other co-founder, Dr. Hassan, his father is and was a poorly controlled diabetic. And so all three of us This was something that had been part of our lives and at a global level, obviously a growing problem. So that was kind of at a 30,000 foot level of view. Let's think about solving a problem that matters to a lot of people. And when we got started, we did a lot of homework. We're self-funded, so we didn't need to necessarily solve for investor concerns and all the metrics. That's always great. So we had the luxury to think. And we spent a lot of time thinking and talking and brainstorming and iterating and A lot of that study led us to this ultimate conclusion that we actually felt like most people were thinking about the problem in not quite the right way. And this was four years ago, late 2018, early 2019. And our view was, look, the tech is interesting. And every day we're making new advancements on the technology side, whether you're talking about the devices or the algorithms behind them or the way that people architect data capture and data organization. But that's not really it, is it? I mean, when we think about metabolic disease, Sure, it's a problem of ultimate genetic predisposition. And sure, there are a lot of new tools that we've got in the DTX realm that are helping us address these problems in different ways. But metabolic disease and diabetes in particular ultimately comes down to a manifestation of that genetic predisposition. My co-founder, Hassan, as a child of a poorly controlled diabetic, he has that genetic predisposition. But instead of becoming diabetic, he became an Olympian. He competed for his country, which is the United Arab Emirates, in single skull rowing in Beijing. So he manifested a different genetic predisposition. And so there's this notion that you are not your genes. As Although the genes are important, there are competing genes and you want to give the best one the competitive advantage. So we really started looking at it from day one as a human problem. And we looked at the tools as tools. And that includes the DTX piece of it, the tech piece of it, the pharmacological piece of it, all these elements together comprise a holistic approach. Metabolic, which we've just launched sort of publicly, has been a four-year journey. We started with GluCare.Health. GluCare.Health is a hardcore clinical platform. It is a regulated medical practice with physicians, insurance contracts, reimbursement, and so on. And we built GluCare not because we wanted to build a business that generates cash flow. We built GluCare as a sandbox because we wanted an environment in which we could test and iterate all of the various ways and all the various tools that we can employ in the pursuit of better care for our patients and better outcomes. So it was super valuable for us as this sort of little ecosystem that we could control in a responsible way, test and iterate and generate outcomes. I think that gave us a degree of competitive advantage. There's a phrase I like to use a lot, which is, how do you earn the right to win? No one's going to give it to you. You got to earn that right. And in metabolic disease space, it really comes down to one thing. Earning the right to win in what we do is about generating the best possible outcome at the lowest possible unit cost. And so we've been chipping away at that. 
Fantastic. So metabolic is the overall sort of umbrella, which contains all of our know-how and our IP and our approach. Glucare is actually the clinical sub-brand focused on diabetics, pre-diabetics. And then we've just launched a medicated weight management program focused on non-diabetics who want to go on a weight management journey called Zone.Health. And that's another sort of sub-brand under metabolic. So lots has been done in the three years that you guys spun this up. And for the listeners here, the reason I also invited you, Ali, is one of our guests, and they're our presenting partner on the podcast, Chris Bergstrom and Amalgam Rx. In season one, even the episode is called that way. Maybe the future of DTX is not DTX at all. Combined with on that same season, I would always ask the question, digital therapeutic, prescription or not, versus disease management 2.0. And I think we kind of look at this, and I'm a big, huge fan of standalone digital therapies as an intervention, but at your coach, we also pride ourselves that every human needs another human to lean on at some point of our time. So I want to hear a little bit of your thinking, because even metabolic, I think you kind of describe it as a digital therapeutic platform as a whole, et cetera. I want to dive deeper into Ali's brain on this prescription digital therapeutic versus disease management 2.0 services surrounding and human beings. Yeah, I think I would characterize us as more a hybrid platform where we don't discount the role of the human. In fact, the role of the human is, is quite central. And again, not to discount what our colleagues have done in the pure DTX realm. It's been hugely valuable. People have made great progress and delivered great outcomes. My last talk was at the DTX Asia conference in Seoul. And when they invited us to speak, I said, look, we're strictly speaking, not pure DTX player. Do you really want us to talk? And they said, sure. Yeah, you're doing some great stuff. We want to hear about it. Well, here's the topic of my talk. The topic was the future of digital health isn't digital. It's human. And I got up on stage and I cracked a joke and said, I kind of feel like the guy showing up to the vegan conference with a roast beef sandwich in his hand. And I got a good laugh. But the punchline was, look, guys, we're still in the early days of not only the evolution and development of these new set of tools, but in the discussion of them. And in the early days, the discussions can often be sort of misguided or mislabeled in a sense. I raised the question, why are we talking about the tool? Is that really the conversation that we need to have? And is that the right contextualization of DTX? What I think we should be talking about is the context in which these tools are used in order to deliver an outcome. So that was kind of the punchline and it really gets to the core of who we are and what we do. When we set up what became metabolic, but what was initially Glucare, we looked at everyone and the great work that they were doing. In 2018-19, you know, companies like Livongo, Omada, Verta, Verily, Onduo, I mean, there was already a lot. And our takeaway was they're doing great work. Livongo was reducing hemoglobin A1C by about one percentage point on their population. And they were doing it in sort of the three to six month period. We just felt like that wasn't enough, that that wouldn't earn the right to win over the long term. And that came down to one simple thing. Not everyone's going to be a DTX customer. You and I probably would. Maybe most of your listeners would be, you know, because on balance, you're on a relative basis, maybe more educated and aware, maybe more affluent and able to afford these services because typically they're not reimbursed, or at least they weren't at the time. And you're time starved. And maybe that last piece is the biggest driver, right? It's convenient to use these tools. But, you know, the random diabetic in Omaha, Nebraska, the overweight individual in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, or the person in rural Texas, is that person going to be target for a hardcore pure play tech enabled Silicon Valley product? 
maybe not. Those patients, you need to touch them. Human level, you need to touch that patient. Metabolic disease isn't the problem that it is today for lack of innovation. We are fatter and more diabetic than we've ever been in human history. It's not because we haven't innovated. We've gotten better at, at everything related to healthcare. I'm going to put you on the spot, ask you a rhetorical question and see how we do. But to frame it, we've gotten better at our infrastructure, at our supply and availability of healthcare. We've innovated on healthcare financing, on devices, on diagnostics, on labs, on drugs, regulations, healthcare education. Everything has gotten better, not worse. So why is it that as humans, almost everywhere on earth, we're more metabolically unstable than we've ever been in human history? I love it. I love being in the hot seat. I'm happy to give you my thought. I think as a society, we got lazier on demand generation. And that's why a lot of times it is easier to take a pill or something that's a quick fix than focus on lifestyle and behavior change. And those things are hard, right? And human bodies, we were quote unquote made to hunt, to <laughs> be active. And many of us don't do even enough walking. So that's kind of my quick philosophical hypothesis. You're not wrong, but let me reframe what you just said. The patient's not eating well. The patient's just medicating. The patient's not exercising enough. The patient, the patient, the patient. I've asked this question of hundreds of folks, and only one has given the alternate answer or the complementary answer, which is, oh, actually, you know what? Maybe it's the healthcare system's fault. And this is not about assigning blame because neither answer is complete. But I think the key in the answer that assigns blame to the patient, to lifestyle, and so on, cuts to this notion of agency. Right? Effectively, when you say that it's the patient, the patient, the patient, why we're metabolically dysfunctional, you're basically ascribing agency onto that human being where agency doesn't actually exist. If I ask you, what impact did your breakfast this morning have on your glycemic control? Unless you're wearing a CGM and the education to interpret that data, you're not going to know. So it's an agency problem. Humans don't have the tools that they need in order to be able to be good custodians of their healthcare, even if they want it to be. And more importantly, the people who do have agency or maybe slightly more agency than the patients themselves, the providers, the insurance companies and so on, don't have a mechanism or aren't incentivized to transfer that agency to the patient. So it really is an agency problem. And when you understand that, it's about, okay, well, how can we give back agency to the patient? And that really comes down to the human element. How do we build a model? And this gets right to the core of the great work that you guys are doing and my coach. How do you build a human model that guides that patient? through almost this like curated journey through their own data and help them understand and learn tools around behavioral modification and lifestyle modification that they can carry with them alongside the technological innovation and the pharmacological innovation, right? The drugs are important. The DTX is important, but on its own, it's going to fall down. I mean, look at this global debate that's happening now on the GLPs. And I just posted something today about it because it seems like every dinner party I go to, all anyone wants to talk about is Ozempic. And we haven't been able to get Ozempic for our diabetics, because Elon tweeted about it. And then there was this controversy around everyone suspected Kim Kardashian was on it. Eminem put it in one of the lyrics of his rap song. That I didn't know. Oh yeah, it's in there. I forget which song, I think the King's... Uh... Yeah, so it's the topic du jour, right? It's part of the TikTok vernacular now. And it's led to a global shortage, but more importantly, it's led to really inappropriate use. Off-label use is not a problem in and of itself, as long as that off-label use is prescribed by a licensed professional. But when that off-label use is self-prescribed and the dosing is self-determined, 
you end up with a whole host of problems. But what matters most is that the ROI is next to zero. So let's step back a little bit. I know you're operating in the Middle East, and you can tell us where. And while we have listeners from over 140 countries in the world, majority of those listeners are in U.S. Again, stepping back, how big is the metabolic problem in Middle East? What are you solving for? Maybe just give a little bit of a picture to our listeners. It's a huge problem. The most metabolically dysfunctional countries on earth are in the GCC. We rank very highly. In the top 10, we probably are five of the top 10. On a percentage basis, estimates are between 20 to 25% of the population is diabetic. And estimates are between 20 to 25% of the population is pre-diabetic. That's not including people who are overweight or obese and not yet on the pre-diabetic scale. So about half the population at least is metabolically unhealthy. And that's also true for the United States, by the way. Brazil, you got 15 million diabetics. India has a huge population. On an absolute basis, the largest population is probably in China. So everyone on earth, it's a big problem. In terms of cost, let's take the US as an example because the data is probably the most reliable. 20% of GDP or thereabouts is spent on healthcare. And estimates range from sort of one in four to one in six dollars is spent on issues related to metabolic disease. So four to five percent of total US GDP goes to metabolic dysfunction. When you think about it in those stark terms, it's insane. So it's a huge problem. And it's a problem of both emergent markets and more evolved markets. There are, of course, two different types of metabolic dysfunction. You have diabetes of the rich, which is disease of abundance. And then you have diabetes of the poor, which is oftentimes a disease of food quality. But ultimately, you get to the same punchline, which is metabolic dysfunction. And not to mention now, Alzheimer's have been starting to get qualified as diabetes type 3. Again, I haven't parsed through the science, but it's interesting to hear how the problem is expanding across into the neurological space as well. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my amazing partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the CEO of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Ali. Your product is iTROM certified or complies with iTROM standards. Is there any reason for picking this standard? And are other metabolic digital therapeutics products also using iTROM as the benchmark? Thanks, Chandana, for the question. So iCHOM stands for the International Consortium of Health Outcome Measures. It's a nonprofit organization that was set up by Dr. Michael Porter. He's most well-known from his sort of corporate strategy, business guru fame. He's an HBS professor. Spent about half his career, though, in healthcare championing value-based medicine. He's been one of the strongest voices over the years. And he set up or co-founded iCHOM with a couple of other folks about 10 years ago. And it's a nonprofit with a mission to basically organize the conversation around value-based medicine, because it was kind of all over the place. There was as many definitions as there are people talking about it. So iChow has been doing a lot of great work around setting standards and guiding the conversation. And for particular clinical and therapeutic areas or verticals, developing specific standard sets to govern the conversation around value-based or performance-based medicine for those clinical areas. So how did we get to know them? Actually, this goes back a while. My co-founder, Dr. Hassan, used to be the deputy CEO of Mobadla Healthcare. And in that role, one of the businesses they built, so they built Cleveland Clinic. He was on the board of Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, various other healthcare assets. But they also built the largest diabetes platform in the region called Imperial College London Diabetes Center. 
And he was interested at that time, this was probably about eight, nine years ago, in establishing Imperial as a value-based medicine provider. But at that time, there was no way to be certified or validated in any way. So they actually sponsored the ICHOM certification set development. That's how it works. They have to actually put some resources around building those standard sets. So Essan was already quite familiar with the team over at ICHOM and had catalyzed the development of those standard sets. And that took a bit of time. So to your second question, you know, are there other metabolic disease platforms using this? We were actually the first clinic globally to get the ICHOM certification. And there might be a couple more by now, but last year when we heard the good news, they said, well, congratulations, you're actually the first. Not somebody in the US, you know, tiny little startup clinic in Dubai kind of became the first. And that was obviously a great honor, but it was a testament to the hard work of the team. From day one of building out GlueCare, we built it on the back of the framework, the skeleton that had been defined by iCHOM. So we work with them closely. We're really excited about championing the work that they're doing and also helping propagate that throughout the industry. And I'm going to hop in here. I mean, it's a very appropriate question from Chandana and obviously touches on patient outcomes. And so stepping back, I'd love for you, Ali, to describe that patient experience on, let's call it the metabolic platform. I know you started with kind of physical clinics, et cetera, but walk us through the patient experience using the tech and the human beings across your platform. So let's say it's a diabetic or pre-diabetic patient. They'll come in. Their experience will be identical to any other clinical experience. There's obviously enhancements that we worked on, on the architecture, on the look and feel, on the ethos. It feels like a healthy and well-being environment, not a medical clinic. So the clinic itself looks like kind of a cross between an Apple store and an art gallery. But the patient comes in, registers. We went to great pains to be as vertically integrated as we could. So in Dubai, you're not actually allowed as an outpatient facility to have a lab and a pharmacy. That has to be a separate business and a separate trade license and a separate geographic footprint. But we lobbied the Dubai government or the regulator to have an exception so that we could have our own lab on-prem than our own pharmacy. And they were great. They worked with us over a few months and actually gave us that exceptional approval. So when you come in as a patient, you get registered, you immediately take your bloods, you're typically fasting. And within 30 to 40 minutes, we do the turnaround on the bloods. So we don't wait to batch and cost optimize. You know? So we take a bit of a hit on the radiance on a unit basis, but the upside in that is huge because we save our patients an additional or extra trip to a lab. We save them two or three, four day waiting period of getting the results and so on. So once they take their lab tests, they break their fast in our coffee shop, and then they immediately go in and see the endocrinologist. That visit is not the five to 10 minute transactional hurried rushed visit. We spend 30, 40, 45 minutes sometimes with the patient going through the lab tests, which are now on the screen in front of the patient and the physician doesn't actually have to ask the mundane questions. If you think about a diabetic, every time they go to the doctor, and that's once every quarter, the doctor's gonna ask the same questions. Hey, are you taking your meds? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting your exercise and your step count? You know, are you eating the right stuff? Have you cut down your smoke and your alcohol? They've gotta go through the motions of taking the patient history. Much of that we've mooted through the tech. So we give every one of our patients a Fitbit. We've got a partnership with Google and Fitbit on that. So we give that away for free. Other devices like an Apple Watch, we integrate with that too. And so we have an objective view on a lot of that stuff before they even walk in. So we don't have to ask those questions. So the doctor now has a lot more time to be human, to ask about the patient, their challenges, and explain their disease in a context that makes sense to them. So they'll spend a bunch of time with the physician, and then that patient will go on and see the rest of the care team. 
So we got dietitians, nutritionists, health educators, diabetes educators, and ultimately a health coach. And that last person is arguably the most important. That health coach is going to spend the time at the end of the visit. Music to my ears at your coach here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. It's a two-hour journey at the clinic. And at the end of it, that health coach basically you know, downloads the apps that the patient needs, integrates everything, registers for everything, puts on the devices, explains the devices, how to install them, how to put a CGM on, and so on and so forth, and then sends them on their way. Now, that patient leaves the clinic physically, but they haven't left us. And the moment they leave, they're now streaming their data back to our clinical care team. And that's when our back-end clinical portal allows our team to actually have oversight over that patient on a continuous basis. So that drives the engagement. And then when that patient comes back, all of the intervening data that happened between the visits is usable for both the patient and the clinical team. What you just described, and I'm curious, how does that drive? You told me is you have one of the best results in the industry from A1C reduction, et cetera. So what's the magic sauce and how does that, from a patient experience to the things that you can disclose about your results, and does that tie with evidence generation? So talk to me a little bit about your A1C results and reversing diabetes even, et cetera. Yeah, we'd love to, because that's actually the core of it. I mentioned earlier that Lebongo had published a 1% reduction in A1C over a six-month period. If you look at traditional medicine, Imperial, to use them as an example, they manage 100,000 diabetics. Over 10 years, they were only able to reduce A1C by 0.9 percentage points. On a blended basis, we're doing now over 2% in 90 days, in just 90 days. And we actually don't like that as a measure of performance. A1C is industry standard, but our preference for our own internal KPIs is looking at managing time and range for diabetics. Aside from that, if you look at weight loss, you know we have an average body mass reduction of 5%, uric acid reduction of close to 20%, same with cholesterol, close to 20%, 40% reduction in cardiovascular risk score as measured by the Framingham standard. And most important, is we're achieving all these great results while concurrently reducing the overall pharmacological load of the patient. So they're actually taking less drugs at the end of that three-month period than they were when they started. And that's what kind of makes the results even more impressive. It's easy to reduce A1C if you just pump a patient with drugs, right, candidly. Another really interesting study that we published is we took our own patients and cohorted them. So there are patients that walk in the front door and they're like, hey, we've heard about Glucare and your doctors are amazing and all this stuff. We'd like to come and be your patient, but you know we're not really into this big brother tech stuff. They opt out of the continuous piece. So they just want to see the physician, get their meds and go home, okay? And there are patients that that's their preference and we respect that. We prefer that they not do that because we know that that's suboptimal, but if they insist, we comply. And we convert many of those patients, by the way, later on to becoming engaged patients. So we cohorted our patients into two groups, those that opt out, and then everyone else is an opt-in. Now, the range is wide. We have patients that are really super engaged, daily conversations with their coach and so on and so forth. And then we have patients who are less engaged. Once in a while, they'll talk to their coach or they'll upload a photo of their meal and so on. But nevertheless, we categorize anyone who has any level of engagement as an opt-in, and then those opt-outs as a separate category. The opt-out patients, zero improvement over three months almost nothing. The opt-in patients, same period of time. So same drugs, same intervention, same doctor, same everything. The only difference is that they engaged between visits. Those patients had a 2.4% reduction in A1C in 90 days. So that one study that we published 
is arguably sort of the best articulation of the power of the virtual piece. I had a conversation with somebody the other day about all the great changes that are happening in one of the GCC countries. And their focus was, you know, we're upscaling our primary care. We're investing a lot of money in the clinics and making them look better and feel better and giving a better patient experience. And I was like, man, that's a 10 years ago conversation. You're focused on the bricks and mortar. You're focused on the infrastructure. That's important. But I'm telling you, that story has already played out. That's not going to improve your outcomes. You know, it'll improve a patient experience. It'll improve some satisfaction scores, but it's not going to change your ROI on a long-term basis. That was a long answer to a very short question. What is the secret sauce? It's not one thing, to be clear. Everything contributes. But if I were to point to one thing that really is the primary driver, it's that daily engagement that we're able to drive, which ultimately drives accountability over the long term and a unique set of outcomes. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Ali Hashemi, co-founder of Metabolic. We talked about the amazing results, the patient experiences, but let's talk about the business. Curious on your initial business hypothesis, because lots of entrepreneurs are listening to this and investors. How did it change over the last three years, especially as, again, you build this overarching metabolic as a platform? And to the extent you can, especially in the countries that you operate, you can talk a little bit about pricing, reimbursements, and things like that. That's a really good question. And this is arguably the toughest part and why being an entrepreneur in healthcare is hard. Reimbursement is a challenge. Insurance companies are not particularly up to date on the work that we do and great work that other DTX companies do. And so reimbursement isn't there. In the Middle East, you know, good luck trying to get reimbursed for the tech piece, but good luck even trying to get reimbursed for the time of your health coach. So it's a really nascent space. Our approach to it was the following. We're self-funded. We're not constrained by the capital side. We had time. And our approach was, well, let's find a way to work with the insurance companies in a context that they understand. Speed matters for us. And so the fastest path to execution for us was a compromise. So we didn't even ask for reimbursement on the things that we knew that they wouldn't understand. We just went to the insurance company and said, hey, look, we're a new provider. We're great in certain respects, but we haven't proven ourselves. We're new. We'd like you to get us in network. We'd like you to give us a pretty decent reimbursement rate relative to the market because we do all these other things that we know you guys aren't going to pay for. But the only things that you do pay for are the clinical visit, the lab test, the diagnostics, and the drugs. So pay us for those things. Pay us decently for those things because I'm going to use that cash flow to subsidize all the other stuff that you don't pay for. And that's effectively what happened. The labs business is probably on a gross margin basis the most profitable part of the business. And we use that to pay for the Fitbits that we give away for free, to pay for the cloud architecture, to pay for the FTEs of the coaches in the cloud. That's how we got started. But then the next sentence in those conversations was, okay, guys, we're going to come back to you when we've got outcomes. And at that time, we're going to want to have a conversation with you about paying for that. Ultimately, we don't want to get paid for the minutes that our doctors spend or the drugs that we prescribe, or the lab tests that we do. I don't want to make money off of any of those activity-based interactions. We only want to have an upside if we earn it, right? So it should be calibrated to the outcomes that we generate. And if we don't generate an outcome, we shouldn't get paid. So as we talked about 
your model on focused on gathering enough data to come back with an outcomes-based model, ultimately, a brilliant market entry. You're operating in Middle East. What are your channels and countries and partners? Where your aspirations lie? Our aspirations are pretty big. Once we knew that we could care for a diabetic better than anyone else out there, it almost became a moral obligation to scale our skills. So we feel that burden. And the opportunities that we're pursuing now are things that unlock the outcomes at scale. We're mainly focused on discussions with governments, large employers, and so on. Some of the public stuff that I can discuss, we announced a pilot program, which we hope will ultimately result in a nationwide rollout of a virtualized version of Blue Care for Luxembourg at a national level, which was really cool because they said, look, we've got our own GP infrastructure and, and that's a good base. We don't want to disrupt that, but we want to enhance it. Can you guys help us? And we said, let's think about that. So we tweaked our model to create a virtualized version that could effectively be the referral pathway for metabolic disease. And then we generate the outcomes kind of in the cloud. And then we push that patient back down into primary care because we don't want to disrupt that human-to-human connection. Another thing I can probably discuss that's public is our relationship with Novo Nordisk. So they approached us a while back because our outcomes were sort of twice as good as the market. And they were really interested in partnering. Our approach to partnership was, well, look, it can't be commercial because I need the flexibility to treat my patients with the right drugs at the right time that may or may not be your drugs. So let's make it based on something else. And we asked them to go fully at risk. Their drugs don't work for 10% of the population. You know, the magic of biodiversity. And they're very expensive. And so the purchasing decision, especially in a non-insured context, is difficult. So we said, well, why don't you be at risk and we'll be fully at risk too. So we jointly developed a fully at-risk medicated weight loss program where if the patient doesn't achieve a certain level of weight loss, they get a full refund of the entire program, which has never been done. So that's kind of the template for how we're thinking about growth and expansion is taking the core of what we've built and then creating manifestations that solve problems at scale. In another country, and this one is still confidential, I can't sort of disclose where, but we're talking about a nationwide rollout of 100 glue cares to create a metabolic system for that country to ultimately care for a panel of, of a million patients. So that's what's actually quite interesting about what we built is that it can manifest in different ways. All through that, though, I should highlight that our goal is not to expand the brand or the business. Our goal is to replicate as authentically as we can the outcome itself. So every episode, I ask the guest to pick one, to give advice, you know, entrepreneurs, regulators, doctors. Curious, who would you want to give advice to? I mean, you're an entrepreneur, you've been in consulting, you've been in medical school three times. <laughs> so uh, off to you. <laughs> yeah, I guess the little wisdom I've gathered over the years in sort of being a serial entrepreneur is always approach things on a first principles basis and don't take anything for granted. I think one of the keys to our success or the limited success that we've had so far is that we held nothing sacred. We didn't play by the rules. And that may have contributed to me getting expelled from med school as well. But today it's helping people. So that's good, right? We didn't care how the insurance industry has traditionally functioned or how providers traditionally behaved. We sat down with a blank sheet of paper and said, well, what's the problem that we're trying to tackle? And what is the right solution to bring to the market for maximal impact, irrespective of traditional dynamics? Obviously, you then have to come back and calibrate yourself against reality. But this notion of being able to approach a problem as a baby would, fresh eyes, no biases, we call it gleeful irreverence. I'm going to start using that and giving you royalties, yes. 
Well, listen, Ali, we started with you and some interesting facts and would love to end this episode with you. What makes you get up in the morning? Good question. Usually it's my four-year-old or my six-year-old, sometimes my eight-year-old with a random question or a kick in the gut if they happen to crawl into the bed at night. So that's the practical answer. But the metaphysical answer, what gets me up in the morning, what drives me as a serial entrepreneur, it's trying to create a legacy that I can be proud of. Information is permanent now. My kids and my grandkids and their kids will always know who I was, what I stood for, and what I accomplished. And I want that legacy to be something that not only I'm proud of, but that every descendant of mine can also look to with pride and not to be super gushy about it. But I think that's a big part of what drives me. Amazing. Well, thank you, Ali, for making the time and thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. And I'm sure we'll be speaking soon. Thanks, Eugene. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.